Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And the sinners he came to call to repentance, and the ungodly he died for are DRS, dirty, rotten sinners. Okay, dirty, rotten sinners. The Lord Jesus Christ hangs like a sign outside of his door, and it says, dirty, rotten sinners are welcome. That's what it says. Dirty, rotten sinners find help here. And if a person walks in that door, then God says, are you a dirty, rotten sinner? And if the person says, well, no, (laughs) I'm not that bad, then God says, well, I can't help you. I can't help you. Go down to the next door. Next door reads, righteous people, you know, come here. And he says, because I came into the world to call and save dirty, rotten sinners. So if you're not a dirty, rotten sinner, I can't help you. And a dirty, rotten sinner says three statements. I was wrong. I am ashamed. I will apologize. You ever heard a person say, you ever heard a person almost feeling offended say something like this? You mean the gospel means that a murderer on death row, all he has to do is say, I was wrong and, you know, about that and apologize and accept Christ, and he's forgiven. He said, that's not right. You ever heard that? I have. You know why they're offended? You know why they're offended with the gospel? Because the gospel's for dirty, rotten sinners on death row. And they don't see themselves as a dirty, rotten sinner on death row. Not at all. But the healing doesn't start until a person says, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. Until a person said, I was wrong, I'm ashamed, I will apologize. Because we all have an Adam inside of us. And that Adam says, oh no, I'm not going to do that. Sinner, don't talk like that. What did Adam do in Genesis 3? In Genesis 3, 6 through 8, it says, the record is so clear. When the woman saw the tree was good for food, it was pleasant for the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and, three words, he did eat. He did it. And the eyes of both of them were open. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves for themselves together and made themselves aprons. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. See, Adam sinned by eating from the forbidden tree. He did eat. Adam was overwhelmed with feelings of shame and guilt. And all Adam had to do is just say, I was wrong, I'm ashamed, I'll apologize. But instead, Adam thinks about it. And he says, rule number one is, I'm never wrong. Rule number two is, If I think I might be wrong, go back to rule number one. 
<laughs> so he concludes. It's, he concludes, I was not wrong. It's someone else's fault. It's Eve's fault. I've just discovered that. It's really Eve's fault. No, it's not Eve's fault. It's God's fault. He gave Eve to me, and he convinces himself of that. Pride says, I am never wrong. I was not wrong. I will not allow myself to feel ashamed. I have nothing to apologize for. Humility says, I was wrong. I'm ashamed. I will apologize. There was no logical reason to blame God for Adam eating the fruit. But what Adam did, he said that in order to avoid saying, I was wrong, I was ashamed, and I apologize. There was no logical reason for Leah to think that her having a child was God's reward for her self-denial in giving her maiden to her husband. But that's what she did in order to not say, I was wrong, I'm ashamed, I'll apologize. Do those terrible feelings that we feel are the guilt and the shame, they put us in the same crossroads. We've got to choose. Humility says, I was wrong, I'm ashamed, I'll apologize. And then the healing starts. Pride or pride with an illogical blaming of someone else so we can say, I was not wrong, I, I won't allow myself to feel ashamed and I have nothing to apologize for. Sadly, Leah chose the wrong way. And God's recorded all this down here for us so that when we feel the guilt and the shame, that we'll choose the right way. Now, when we think of all the names that Leah could have chosen for this son, she chose the word Issachar, which means reward. And with the name of Issachar, she memorializes her illogical reality that God had somehow rewarded her for giving her maid to her husband. I mean, God must have fallen off his throne when she said that. <laughs> and with the name of Issachar, Leah is saying, I have done nothing wrong when I gave Zilpah to my husband. I don't know why I feel so bad now, but I did nothing wrong, because that's rule number one. I refuse to be ashamed for giving Zilpah to my husband, and I have nothing to apologize to my husband for, or to God, for giving Zilpah to my husband. See, and all this refusal to be humbled she stated where their choice of the name Issachar for the boy. Hmm. So that means reward. Now, if she came to us and she said, what do you think I should name the son? Oh, we could say to her, <laughs> say, Leah, here's a perfect name for that son. You don't call him Issachar. You call him Shlachi. You say, what's Shlachi? Sounds like a schlock. No, no. Shlachi is a very important word. It means like, uh, I feel really bad, and uh, excuse me, and forgive me. Shlachi is a very important word during Yom Kippur. We just had Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, is, see, on Yom Kippur, my father and I would go to the temple. We wouldn't eat. That made it very memorable for me. <laughs> we wouldn't drink any water all day. And during the Yom Kippur service, like I told you, they wouldn't say mistakes. You know, they would they call it sin. And people would go down the categories, you know, this, this category, this category, this category. And they would confess the sin to God that they did in each one of those categories the past year. And after each confession, they'd take their right hand, close it in a fist, cross over, and hit the left side of their heart, just like that, and say, Shlachi, Shlachi, Shlachi. They'd go like that, Shlachi. So they would say, I cheated so-and-so out of this much money last year, and they'd hit their heart and say, Slachi. See? And I lied to my friend, 
and this last year, and they'd say, slachi. See, that's what slachi means. It means, um, excuse me, to me, excuse, or forgiveness. Slachi means that. Slachi means excuse to me, or excuse me, or forgive me. And you hit your chest like that, you'd go over and over, you know. And then you'd, in the congregation, you'd watch for who was doing that the most. You'd stay away from that person. <laughs> but, you, you, but that's what you did. You took your fist and you, you said, Slachi. That's what the publican was doing. Did you ever read that passage of the publican in Luke 18, 13? It says, and the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a lost sinner. Uh, I mean, a sinner. Uh, what did you think that meant when you read that? Did you think he was like Tarzan doing this or something like that? No, he was taking his right hand and he was saying, Slachi. And he was holding his head down. He's saying, Slachi. You know, and he was confessing his sins. So when it says, God be merciful to me, a sinner, that's similar to Slachi. So Slachi means to excuse or forgive me. And it has the meaning of be mer- God be merciful to me, a sinner. So when it says that, that's what he was doing there. So we would say, Leah, why don't you name him Slachi? That'd be a good name for you. <laughs> and with that name, healing would have started for Leah. Because then she would be saying with that name, I was wrong, I'm ashamed, I gave my maid to my husband, I'll apologize. Now we read in verse 19, Leah conceived again and bare Jacob the sixth son. It's interesting that in the birth of this next son, in this verse 19, it's called Jacob's sixth son. Is that how many sons Jacob had at this point? Let's count them up. Well, how many did Rachel's maiden have? Bilhah. How many? Two. How many did Zilpah have? That was Leah's heartache. She had two. So that's four, right? And so now Leah has already had five. She has another one. Anyway, she has five. There's another one. <laughs> I need Scott. <laughs> All right, how many is that? Ten, right? Okay, very good. This is actually Jacob's tenth son. Well, it's interesting it's called here sixth son because the fact that it's called the sixth son implies that God viewed Leah as the wife. God always viewed Leah as the wife for Jacob and not the three other women. Anyway, now in verse 20, Leah brings another surprising subject. See, the last time she brought up the surprising subject of I gave my maiden to my husband. You'd think she'd want to forget about it, but she brought it up. Now she's brought up something else, which is a little surprising. In verse 20, Leah said, God hath endued me with a good dowry, because now my husband will dwell with me because I've borne him six sons. And she called his name Zebulun. A dowry. A dowry. <laughs> Who said anything about a dowry? Where did this come from? You know, the dowry. This is like, oh, okay. Well, you know, Leah, she's a very, let's just kind of put it in the nicest way. She's a very expressive person. <laughs> she, uh, she lets it all hang out. And if there's something on Leah's mind, you're going to hear about it. And in verse 18, it was on her mind that she had given her maiden to her husband. And so Leah let it hang out. So we heard about it. Well, she's let us know about something else that's been bothering her. You know, it's been bothering her that she didn't get a dowry from Jacob when she got married. Think of all the stuff that's going on. You're worried about a dowry? (laughs) This bothers you, Leah? Well, it did. It does. I mean, Jacob had married her and gave her no dowry, and that's bothered Leah. 
Soleil opens up her heart, and she tells us that, you know, she's concerned about she never received any dowry when she got married. Now, you kind of look at this with Leah, and you sort of think, you know what? She's a real person, and you kind of feel for Leah. You know, and, and then as you kind of hear this, it kind of brings you more into all these problems that Leah's having in her life and kind of breaks your heart for Leah because of her statement. It just reveals just how disappointing life has just sort of turned out for Leah. And poor Leah. I mean, you know, Leah. The fact that Leah has brought up this dowry, it makes us understand this side of Leah, this very real side of Leah. Leah is a dreamer. She dreams She dreamed of having a wonderful life of marriage. She dreamed of being married to a husband with undivided, devoted love for her, not the husband who hates her. She dreamed of a beautiful marriage where Jacob is the man of her dreams, with herself as all the honored bride, and not as a deceptive trick of making Jacob think he's marrying Rachel and then at the last minute to be pushed by her father into Jacob's marriage bed. She dreamed of having her husband giving a nice dowry for her hand in marriage and and not of her father making her husband work for him as the dowry. So the issue of no dowry seems to be what's really bothered Leah. And now she's talking about it. And it comes across to us very sad, kind of pulls on our heart a little bit. I mean, Leah's a fighter, and that's the way we've seen her. We've seen Leah, boy, she's able to come out of her corner in the boxing ring, and she can do a pretty good fight with her sister Rachel, as we've seen. But what verse 20 represents for us is Leah walking back to the corner in the boxing ring, her corner of the boxing ring, and breathing out this, oh, I never got a dowry. (laughs) It shows a vulnerable side of Leah. Leah's life just didn't work out the way she planned and hoped that it would. And when we see Leah in this statement of this disappointment in her life, we see ourselves. We see ourselves. You know, life just hasn't worked out the way we planned it. You know, at a certain time in our lives, we planned to have this, and it wouldn't, didn't work out. We don't have it. At a certain time in our lives, we planned on having our health like we were 25, and that just hasn't worked out. We don't have our health. A certain time in our lives, we planned on being married and having our spouse, and that just didn't work out, and we don't have that spouse. So what's the answer to all this when life doesn't deliver what we planned and expected and hoped for? That's where Leah's words really help us in verse 20. Leah said, God stepped in and gave me the dowry. He gave me a good dowry. Leah said, God hath endued me with a good dowry. See, Leah sees that Jacob didn't provide a good dowry for her, but as she looks at her sons, Leah says, you know what? God did. God provided this good dowry for me. And in that, we see the key to how to rise above discouragement and depression when life just hasn't worked out. What Leah is saying here is that I didn't get the good dowry from my husband as I dreamed I would, but God gave me a good dowry in the form of all these sons. That's a good key for us to see how God takes care of us even though it's not what we hope for, it's not what we plan, because he promises he's not going to leave us, he's not going to leave us stranded in life, 
And if our loss comes as a result, especially as it comes as a result of following him, the Lord Jesus Christ stepped in specifically on that issue. And he said in assurance in Mark 10, 29 through 30, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, there's no man that's left house, brethren, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses, brethren, sisters, mother, children, lands, and there'll be persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. See, this is the beauty of what Leah says in verse 20 when she says, God hath endued me with a good dowry. And when we see her saying this in verse 20, God hath endued me with a good dowry, we see Leah doing the three basic activities that are the will of God for us. In 1 Thessalonians 5.16 gives us the first activity, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, the second activity, and then verse 18, the third activity. What are the three activities that are will of God concerning you? First one is? Good. The second one is? Without ceasing. And the third one is? Everyone give thanks. That's everything give thanks. That's it. 1 Thessalonians 5.16-18. 1613. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So you just have to remember those. You want to remember what they are? Remember RPG, which stands for rejoice, pray, and give thanks. And that'll become the that'll become the rocket propelled grenade against Satan, see? The RPG. Rejoice. Leah rejoiced in having a good dowry of six sons. Pray. Leah was praying for her husband to dwell with her. Give thanks. Leah declared that her six sons came from God. See, that's what she did. That's a good thing she's showing us here. And this habit of giving thanks, it can be transformational in prayer. I mean, here's a homework assignment. This week, before praying for anything, this week, pray for everything. (laughs) And this week, before praying for anything, before praying for anything, think of what to be thankful for and start by thanking the Lord Jesus for something and then pray for your need. See, but you know, Leah, she's like us. She vacillates, we vacillate. And sometimes she's above her problems and she's praising the Lord and she's giving thanks to God And at other times, she sinks down and she's complaining and and resorting to giving her maid to her husband. But in this statement, in verse 20, when she said, God hath endued me with a good dowry, she's on top. She's rejoicing. She's giving thanks. Leah just has a little bit of trouble with the first Thessalonians 5.16 with that word evermore and a little bit of trouble, you know, rejoice evermore. And Leah, like, has a little trouble in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, with the everything part of in everything give thanks. But for this time, she's doing great. Leah's life, we can see her as a description. We look at Leah, at least in this verse right now, and we say, you know who Leah's like? Psalm 113.9. Oh, she's a Psalm 113.9 lady. He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise you, the Lord. See, Leah was the barren woman who the Lord made to keep house and to be a joyful mother of her children. That's an interesting word in Psalm 113, verse 9, for keep, when it says he maketh the barren woman to keep house. That word is yashab, not yashav, yashab, which means to sit down or settle down. You know, today it's a blessing 
to find a woman who's willing to sit down and settle down in the home and keep house, as it says, you know, with scenes of Carly Ferrana and Hillary Clinton and these women, then it just encourages women. I want to get out of the home and realize my full potential. It's not here changing diapers. I'll tell you, it's, uh, you know, running HP. I got to get out and be. And women find it stifling to sit down and dwell, keep in the home, and they find that to stay home with the children is like being locked up in a prison cell. And instead of being a joyful mother of children, they see being home as a grumpy prison guard of children. (laughs) But what a wonderful title for a woman whose dream in life is to stay or dwell at home with her children. And the title is Joyful Mother of Children, Psalm 113. Now, Again, Leah expresses her heart when she says in Genesis verse 20, God hath endued me with a good dowry. Now will my husband dwell with me because I've born him six sons. She called his name Zebulun. She longs for her husband to dwell with her. And I mean, Leah had a tent and Rachel had a tent. And every night she watches, you know, Jacob come up that path, dragging his tail behind him. He's so beat, he's so tired. And she knows that Jacob's got a choice that night. Are you going to turn and go into Leah's tent, or are you going to go into Rachel's tent? And every evening, evidently, Jacob just went into Rachel's tent and dwelt with Rachel. And every evening, Leah would watch Jacob, who she kept calling, my husband, my husband, my husband. And she would watch her husband go into her sister Rachel's tent, and it would break her heart. And so she just felt so lonely, and she would spend the evening yearning with one hard cry, oh, that my husband would come into my tent and dwell with me. And that was her heart cry, that her husband would dwell with her. This is a Hebrew word that she used for dwell. It's a unique one. It's not the normal word for dwell, the word zabal. And it has in its root meaning the idea of circling around or enclosing. And so Leah dreamed of having a little nest where their husband, where her husband would just come and just wrap his arms around her and encircle her. With the Zabal enclosure, she would feel secure. She would feel protected. That's what she yearned for. And she expressed that yearning with the name of her sixth son, Zebulun, which mean, could be mean enclosure. So Leah thinks that because Jacob has six sons from her in her tent, uh, her tent's got six sons, and Rachel's only got two sons, in her tent, she thinks, you know, that, well, Jacob's going to come to my tent instead of Rachel's tent. But doesn't happen. That's going to be the heartbreak of Leah's for the rest of her life. But this is the heartbreak that drives Leah to God because God loves Leah. And therefore, this heartbreak is the loving, chastening hand of God on Leah, as it says in Proverbs 3.12, for whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth even as a father in whom he delighteth. See? So she's saying here, really, notice in verse 20 here how it's written. She's not saying, I hope that my husband will dwell with me. Leah, the way she puts it here, it's a declaration. She's declaring, my husband will dwell with me. Jacob, do you hear that? If you know what's good for you, (laughs) I'm making a promise of assurance. Now will my husband dwell with me? I feel like someone's going to get killed here. Anyway, from this statement, we can see how Leah's running out of patience. And she's saying, I've given him six sons already, and all I want for him is just dwell with me. (music) 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor, founder of Israel Restoration Ministries and our Bible teacher on the Friendship with God radio program, has created the Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's a King James Study and Reference Bible with over 2,200 total pages, 13 and a half point large font, and has over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources. It has Hebrew root notations in the Old Testament and over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It also includes daily bread reading notations, a tour of the Bible scripture journey, 12 custom-made full-color maps, and a full-color nine-page History of Israel timeline map. Not to mention incredible concordance and the most popular Bible scripture references section, Bible reference help section, and hundreds and hundreds of other personalized pages from Tom Cantor to grow your friendship with God. It's printed on Finland thin paper printing technology and covered in a black lambskin leather cover with gold lettering. To order your Friendship with God study and reference Bible, go to our homepage on friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org.